If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, a familiar psalm to us uh, in many ways. Um, This has been a place I've come to many times, and yet this time of study saw new things that I'd never seen before. And that's, of course, how Holy Scripture is, isn't it? Each time we come to God's Word, we're in a different place, uh, and so we see a different aspect of the diamond, if you will, a different reflection of God's glory and goodness, and especially in this psalm, uh, that, that calls upon us to, to bless the Lord, to praise Him, to thank Him. This psalm's fitting for us tonight as we're expressing our thankfulness and gratitude to our God to consider how it is that we might bless the Lord. Before we turn our attention to reading God's Word, though, let's, let's ask Him for His help. Would you pray with me? Father, we do come this night desiring to hear once again, here at the close of your day, your Word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, open our eyes of faith, that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll never forget visiting one of my parishioners at my previous church, a lady named Mary Scholl. Her husband, David, was one of our ruling elders on our session, and I was meeting with them in the aftermath of them burying Mary's mother. 
Mary was telling me stories about her mother, and it was so touching to hear her testimony. Mary's mother lived into her 90s, and the previous years, not just the recent previous years, but the many recent previous years were not easy. And yet there was, there was one phrase that Mary's mother uh, said so often that it impacted her daughter, and here it is going on 10 years since I've heard this story. It's impacted me as well. Whenever Mary's mom was cleaning the kitchen or you know, after she gets off a phone call or after she dealt with a doctor's appointment or whatever it was, you, there was one phrase that came out of her mouth over and over again. Do you know what it was? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Of course, that's the first verse of our psalm tonight. But it's striking that this would be the reflexive word that would come out of this lady's mouth, and really out of any of our mouths. Because, after all, life is hard. It, it, it really is hard. Even its most mundane, life can be challenging just to get out of bed, to, to, to care for ourselves, and much less anyone else, and to go about our daily work and our tasks, and to make it to the end of the day, only to begin it all over again. Life can be challenging, but then difficulty comes when we feel stalked by conflict or cancer or sadness or sorrow, when we feel miserable about ourselves or miserable about our world. We, we know the reality of which the Heidelberg Catechism speaks when it describes life as adversity in this sad world. Amid such difficulty and challenge, such adversity, how, how do these words come from our lips with any kind of authenticity? How is it possible for us, out of, out of genuineness and sincerity, to be able to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name? How is it possible? Here's how it's possible. We are stirred to bless, to praise, to thank the Lord when we remember all of God's benefits to us when we forget them not, as the psalmist says in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In other words, we, we choose not to forget. And we choose, in fact, to remember God's benefits. We bring them to mind repeatedly. And we focus our hearts and our minds on the benefits that God has granted us and not the brokenness that we experience. And at that point, our hearts are stirred to join our bodies and souls, our eyes and ears, our limbs and sense, as Luther has it, to bless and praise and thank the Lord. So let's do that tonight. Let's forget not God's benefits. Instead, let's, let's meditate upon them. Let's remember them. And so enter into a blessing life. It's fitting for us tonight to begin by remembering God's benefits to me, to you, to each of us as, as individuals. You can see that's what the psalmist is doing here. He has individuals in mind. He has himself in mind because he moves to speaking in verse 3, verse 2 and 3, to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, 
And then he moves to the second person singular, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life, who crowns you, who satisfies you. He's, he's talking to himself. And he's urging his own individual soul to remember all of God's benefits, starting with those that, that fill up or deal with or, or rectify potential negatives. What are the negatives? Well, you see him in verse 3 in the first part of verse 4. Iniquity, disease, the pit. And yet, yet God takes these negatives and he fills them up. He, he deals with them. He rectifies them. The, the sin and iniquity, the guilt and shame, what does God do? That he forgives our diseases, not just our actual physical diseases, but also the pains that come with hunger and famine and disease and age. What does God do? That God heals. Coming to death, coming to the grave's edge, coming to the pit. What does God do? From that, God pulls us back. He redeems our life. He extends our time in ways that we are aware of and in ways we are not aware of. God rescues our life. What, what benefits these are that, that the psalmist describes here? And yet there's more, because this is a total promise. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. These are all his benefits. That word all shows up repeatedly to remind us that God is not simply blessing us in limited, restricted ways. Rather, his benefits are, are such that fill us up completely. They fill up our lack, the lack that's caused by these negative realities. As one writer put it, God here mends our fallibility, frailty, infinitude. In these clauses, the Lord brings the, the, the fallen creation back to a zero-sum position. You can almost imagine iniquity, disease, and the pit bringing us down into the negative. God brings us up back to zero, by healing and forgiving and rectifying and rescuing. But God's benefits to us are greater than even this because he extends other positive benefits into our lives so that we abound with his gifts. You see that in the second part of verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God has dealt with our sin and suffering, but now... He crowns us with his steadfast love, and he satisfies us with his good. The idea here of being satisfied is that we are satiated. We're filled up. We can't take any more goodness. We've moved beyond that zero position into a full blessing, full benefit, to a place of surplus. There's no other good thing that we could possibly be hungry for in his grace God has given us not just what we really need, but all that we could desire. And so when we consider these benefits to us as individuals, how should we respond? Shouldn't our hearts be filled with gratitude? My heart is filled with thankfulness, we sang this, this evening. Shouldn't our whole heart shake with a deep desire to praise? Indeed, the more abundantly God showers us with benefits, the greater should be our gratitude. But the psalmist 
not only shows us God's benefits to us, to me as an individual, and to you as an individual, but he also shows God's benefits to us collectively as God's people. And in order to help us see how God has granted us benefits as his people, the psalmist focuses us on what happened. What was the time when God's people saw God's steadfast love, mercy, and goodness on display? When was that paradigmatic Old Testament event where God's benefits were made manifest to God's people in such a clear way that they could say, oh, that was the time when God showed his steadfast love and mercy's clearest. Well, we get a hint about that time. In verses 7 and 8, you see it there? He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This psalmist mentions Moses here in verse 7. And then verse 8 is actually a short version of Exodus 34, verse 6. You remember that, right? That's, that's when God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he causes his glory to pass by, and God speaks his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God slow to anger, gracious, uh, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And certainly, God was doing this for Moses, and it was a great benefit for Moses, not just for Moses, but for God's people, that Moses as the representative would see God's glory and hear God's name. But, but do you remember the other details around that time in the book of Exodus? What else was going on then when God may have shown his steadfast love and mercy? Oh, well, just a few chapters before in Exodus chapter 32, God's people made an idol. They took all the gold Aaron throws it into the fire, out jumps the golden calf, right? And then they have this pagan frenzy worship, which is not just worship of the, of the, the golden calf, but sexual relations with one another. God was so upset with his own people uh, and their sin and their absolute failure that he's determined to destroy them and start over with Moses again. And Moses has to stand before God as the mediator and to, to mediate on their behalf and to say, Lord, please forgive their sin, but if you don't forgive them, blot me out of the book. And God says, I'll blot out who I want to blot out, but I'm done with these people. And then finally, towards the end of chapter 33, God relents and he doesn't chide and he doesn't hang on to his anger. He doesn't deal with his people as they deserve. They deserve death. They deserve to be abandoned, but God relents and does not destroy them and finally agrees to lead them on to the promised land. That's what's going on here. Because what happens after these verses? Verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I think the psalmist here is remembering that paradigmatic event where God showed his great mercy and steadfast love to his people. There in Exodus 32 and 33 and 34, when he did not destroy them, he didn't treat them the way that they deserved to be treated because of their sins. Rather, he showed steadfast love. He showed mercy. Why? Why did God do that? 
Why, why did God not give them what they deserve? Why does God not give us, as his people, what we deserve? Well, it's because he loves us. And there's no good reason for God to love us except for the fact that he loves us. God loves us because he loves us. And notice the way the psalmist describes this, this amazing, always and forever, never giving up kind of love that God has for us. It's verses 11 to 14, and it's so, so striking the way the psalmist describes God's love for us. In verses 11 and 12, he actually charts the axes of God's love. In verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And so if you can imagine reaching to the north as far as you can go to the North, the north Star and anchored down to the ground, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, these axes upon which God's steadfast love runs. And then in verses 13 and 14, he describes the fatherly patience of God's love. He knows that we are children, right? It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows we're children. He knows that we were formed in the womb. Even more, he knows that we are dust. He knows all of this, and still, God loves us. Why does God not treat us as a people the way we deserve? Why does he not always chide? Why does he not hold his anger forever? It's because of God's always and forever, never giving up kind of love. This is the truest true in all the universe, which means it extends to me and to you and to us and to all. The psalmist concludes this psalm by extending his field of vision to a wide angle to panorama as it is on your iPhones. As we remember, as we forget not all of God's benefits, we see how God continues to provide for generations. You see, one of the fearful things that we experience as we get older is we worry that we will be forgotten. After all, as the psalmist describes it in verse 15, our, our days are as grass. For a time, we are young, and we are beautiful, and we flourish, and we are fruitful, but then the winds of time pass over us, and soon every single one of us will be gone. And will anyone remember us? Will anyone carry forward us into the, into the future? Will my life have mattered? Will God's great benefit to us is to assure us that our lives do matter. They matter in the generations that follow. You see that in verses 17 and 18. After describing what human beings' lives are like in verses 15 and 16, you have that great but. Even though we pass away, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Um, certainly this has to do with our own children and grandchildren. They particularly keep our memories and even our own DNA alive in themselves. They keep the family traditions. They continue to do as was done before them. But this, what God says here, is better than that. 
Because this is a promise about God's own people. God will continue to pour out his covenant love on his people to those who keep his commandments and those who remember to do his commandments. And God will always have a people on the earth. There will be yet more worshipers of God in the generations that follow who believe the same gospel, who preach the same Bible, who love the same Jesus as you and me. And so you and I, we we don't need to fear that we'll be forgotten. You and I don't need to fear uh, our aggressive secular culture that seems hell-bent on destroying itself, destroying itself morally, destroying itself demographically by failing to reproduce itself. No, God's love is such that your faith in him and your faithfulness in in the present will matter to the generations that come. Don't forget his benefits. He will care for the generations to come, and he will care for all creation so that even the nations will bow the knee because the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Even the angels will join the chorus of praise. The cherubim, the seraphim will offer their praise. Indeed, the totality of all that God has made, as the psalmist concludes it, all his hosts, all his ministers, all his works, in all places of his dominion, nothing is left out of God's song of praise. And what is it that everyone everywhere is singing with everything that they have? What's the song that they sing? What's the song that we sing? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Don't you want to sing too? Don't you want to bless the Lord? Please pray with me. We do bless you, O Lord, for your great kindness and your many benefits to us as individuals, to us collectively as your people. We bless you for the ways that you have provided for us over and again. You have proven faithful to us. You've continued to uphold the generations who worshipped you in this place around word, sacrament, and prayer. And Lord, should you tarry, we trust there will be generations to come, our own children and grandchildren, others who never have even lived in Memphis who will come and worship here because of the faithfulness of this generation continuing to trust in Jesus and to pursue his way and to love his word and to love his people. Lord, we do bless you tonight. And now as we come to this meal, this Eucharist, this Thanksgiving feast, Lord, we do pray that you would stir our hearts as we reflect upon your tender mercies to us and as we reflect upon your great goodness. Lord, bless us, we ask, even as we bless you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.